0: Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and welcome, everyone, to the Theology Mom Podcast. I am so glad to have you here today for this very important conversation that I've been wanting to do for a while now. So I'm very excited to uh, bring this to you. And as we do that, I do want to let you know uh, to make sure to that you are subscribed both on YouTube and wherever you stream your podcast. This is one you are going to want to share definitely with your pastor and probably your friend group, your small group at your church. This is going to be a very important conversation an empowering and equipping conversation and I am really excited to have you here recently my friend Jeremy Bannister he's a pastor in New Mexico many of you know him he's been on my podcast before coming on again soon he wrote me a long email just with his pastor's heart sharing a burden that he has and he asked me to consider doing this podcast because he is seeing so many parents in his congregation struggle and he was asking the question in, in his letter to me is is it time for Christian parents to abandon the public school system so we're going to try to tackle that question today and w- and we've done that a number of different ways on past podcasts, past conversations, so you'll want to go to to my channel if you want to hear other aspects of it. um, I have a whole playlist there on education, but what we're going to do today is focus on an action plan and to help you think about some options and some next steps, even if you're feeling stuck, like I don't necessarily want to keep my kid in public education, but I don't know what my alternatives are, or I'm feeling very stuck about it. Um, We want to help maybe get your imagination going a little bit. Now, before we get into that conversation, I want to clarify something very important about what I'm not saying today. What we're not saying is that Christian teachers should necessarily abandon the government school system. If God has put a call on your life to be a teacher in the government schools, I bless you. I hope you have a church community that is supporting you, praying for you, encouraging you, cheering you on. Please make sure that you are connected with my friends at christianeducators.org. David Schmoos and his team there can help provide support for you. Let them be a resource uh, for you as you are a missionary to bring light to a dark place. This is not what this show is about. This is not about denigrating teachers, uh, especially Christian brothers and sisters who God has put a call on their life to work in the government school system, okay? So this is not a show for about you in, in any way, shape, or form. What this is is a conversation about children. This is a strategy discussion about how to help educate children who are vulnerable to being sent into government schools because that is not a place that is designed to protect their innocence. At the risk of sounding completely redundant, our children are exposed to the ideas of the critical social theories in some form in nearly every inch of their lives, their classrooms on social media, on social on streaming platforms, in movies, and even in some of their churches, okay? <clears throat> we have covered those topics elsewhere. You can go uh, watch the long conversation I did, the Education Mega episode with our friend Kelly Ski about all of those kinds of issues and receipts. And I will be having Kelly on again to continue more of that conversation very soon. But this brings me to the big idea of today's discussion. I believe that the next great ministry opportunity for the church is to make it our mission to pool our resources and create a place of refuge for parents who simply want to have a place for their children to get a solid education that doesn't intend to indoctrinate their children against their faith, but instead builds our children's faith and their education on a firm foundation. And in this podcast, I want to encourage churches to to harness your power to become a catalyst in your local community to offer creative new solutions. Now, if Krista ruled the world, every church in America would open a school, even if it's a micro school or a homeschool co-op so that every family in that local congregation who wants to remove their child from government schools can do it. But this means we're going to need to think creatively. We're going to have to provide solutions that also include and don't leave behind people like single parents and low income families. Uh, We don't want our solutions to be so narrow that those people are left behind because those children in those families matter too. They have dignity, value and worth too. And we want to think about, we won't touch on this in this podcast per se, but it's something we do need to think about is how we can also serve our families who have children with special needs. Now this is a tall order. I don't have all these answers, but we need to start somewhere to have this conversation. So I've asked my friend, George Roska Jr. from Protect Our Kids to come back. He's been on the all the things show before uh, to give us an update about his efforts to encourage and empower pastors and parents to start schools in their local churches as an alternative to government schools and a refuge for our children. And with that, I wanna say welcome George.
1: Thank you for having me, Krista.
0: It's great to have you here. I'm so glad you were able to come, and we could do it in pers- person. Yes, yeah. finally.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy having people face to face because then we're not talking on each other, and you know, just seems a little more more friendly, more personable.
1: I completely agree.
0: <laughs> so now, tell us a little bit about what you do at Protect Our Kids and. Just a little brief recap of what we covered the first time we talked to you. You call it the triple threat of government schools and and the threat that that imposes um, on our kids. So maybe just give us a little recap on that.
1: So that's our elevator speech, the triple threat, because we are constantly trying to get parents to understand very quickly on what's wrong with our government schools. And a lot of them just... Don't believe us. yeah. Um, so to keep it simple, uh, we call it the triple threat. First is uh, sex and gender theory. Uh, and second is uh, critical race theory, and the third one is social emotional learning. And each one of these topics is actually undergirded by what you call the critical social theories. Mm-hmm. It's a worldview. So in sex and gender theory, it's about comprehensive sexuality education. It's no longer just biological sex education focusing on anatomy. It's bringing in the whole gender spectrum. In critical race theory, it's all about putting up the oppressor versus oppressed categories under race, right? And then in social emotional learning, which is the latest trend in public schools, it's all about teaching the values that the critical social theories aspire to and basically infusing them in every curriculum. It could be history, it could be math, it could be science you will start to see all of those values now being propagated everywhere.
0: Very good. And I want to let people know that uh, we have longer versions of each of those topics on our channel. You can go check that out. Again, there's a whole playlist about critical race theory and diversity, equity, inclusion, and social-emotional learning on my channel at Theology Mom. And You can get our all of our past conversations. I even have a whole episode of Crash Course on social, emotional learning. So if that's new for you, no worries. We're going to get you caught up on that. But I think that what you bring up there is very important because many parents don't, they don't, they, they don't believe you at first. Correct. They often will say, well, not in my district. You know, I'm living in rural Wyoming. We don't have these problems. But what I always say to that is, yeah, but if it's not there today, which probably is already and you just don't know it, it's coming soon.
1: Or the other argument is the teachers' unions are everywhere. Mm. And so they are the ones that are pushing all of this. So regardless of blue state, red state, blue county, red county, it's there already.
0: Yeah. And so people, I always emphasize it's important for them to go on their school district website and look for some of those key words like equity. Yes, or you can just type that in equity. You can type in things like um, race or racism to see how they're defining those terms. Those are common ones. I think about um, gender is another key search mm-hmm. term people can look for. Um, parents' rights parents. is another another one because um, these they don't always make it completely transparent for you All to right. find out. Sometimes you even have to ask.
1: And you have to dig deep because it's not going to be on the front page. It'll yes. be like 10 clicks away somewhere. Yeah.
0: And it's probably not going to be under the banner of, here's what we teach about <laughs> queer theory. <laughs> you know, right. it's it's usually couched in language like belonging and inclusion and a lot of other pretty words.
1: Or culturally appropriate history or yeah. ethnic studies.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So those are some good tips. Now, what we're going to, Talk about today is really unfolding. Um, of we want to let people know there's a free resource on your website about starting a school. So why don't you tell people up front like how to get that free resource and in kind of a snapshot of what we're going to be digging into today?
1: Sure. And so really the impetus, Krista, of why we even created the resource was. Back in 2019, we started going up and down the state of California, doing conferences in churches, just warning parents and pastors about what's going on. And every single time we, we were doing that, we got the question of, well, what can we do about it? Stop just telling us yeah. the problem. Right. Give us a solution. So that started this whole process of, okay, well, let's think through how can we solve this problem? Um, and so it's a short booklet. Uh, about 20 pages uh, long, um, very colorful. So <laughs> you will, it's not something that you will fall asleep reading. Um, but uh, it's a 10-step process that we outline for pastors on here are the steps you could be taking right now in your church to bring some kind of an alternative school model into your church.
0: Okay, so Bob's going to put it up on the screen here for us and walk us through like how to find the resource and, and what to look for.
1: Yeah, so this is the landing page for our website. On the top right-hand side is the menu.
0: So you're going to go to protectourkidsnow.org, and then click on the top right-hand side. Uh, my website developer calls that the hamburger at the top.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and then you go to for pastors, because this is specifically targeting okay. them. Okay. And so we we have a very short page, because I understand pastors are very busy. They don't have a lot of time, Right. So, if you just scroll down a little bit, you'll see four short videos on the left-hand side and two brochures on the right-hand side. Okay. So, the brochure here with the pretty little child here, The Church's Calling and Education, Okay. if you click on that, that will open up this 20-page pamphlet.
0: Great. Awesome. So, people can go there, and we're going to unfold the conversation, but they can get a little bit more there's an action step that maybe they can even share with their own past. Yes,
1: we highly encourage you to download this. In fact, on our website, we also have a brochures uh, tab, and you can go and request us to send you hard copy brochures. We'll send them by mail.
0: Okay, great. So I think that I, I did a little informal survey on my Facebook page uh, in preparation for our conversation, and it seemed like a lot of the feedback that I got from parents was that removing their kids from government schools almost feels like an impossible dream. You know, they like, well, I would do it, but I lack confidence that I can really teach my child or I would do it, but you know, we're a two income family or I'm a single parent. And so for them, it just felt like there's these obstacles that they weren't really sure how to get past. I think especially low income families and single parents, Christian school tuition is often out of reach for a lot of these middle-class families. So tell us maybe a little snapshot of your vision to encourage churches to help fill this gap and and break the government school monopoly.
1: So one of the biggest things we heard from pastors uh, up and down California was bending the cost curve. Mm-hmm. Because in California, high school typically costs you around $20,000 yeah. per child per school year. Uh, elementary school and junior high is roughly half of that. Um, but that was the first place where we wanted to target a model that pastors could use to really bend that cost curve down. Uh, the, the other thing to understand is also, um, as, a, as a pastor, as a church that's considering doing something like this, Don't bite off more than you can chew, Mm. or don't try to solve all the problems all at at once. once. Okay. You really have to start off with something small. Uh, And so, that something small, maybe for your church, could be well, this is going to be for our families only. But we are going to then grow that into expanding it to our local community, and then grow it from there to having a better solution for low income families. Um, so you have to take these progressive steps. But our encouragement is start somewhere okay. because when you do start somewhere, you are actually having a huge impact on that government school. Why? Because every child, at least in California, is a dollar sign to our teachers union. They are somewhere around twenty thousand dollars per child per school year that our taxpayer dollars are going into funding the government school monopoly. Um, and so you multiply that by, let's say, 30 to 35 children per classroom, and that's one teacher, right? One teacher that's in that classroom, which is typically uh, part of the union in California, they're paying probably about $1,300 per year to their teacher's union. And that teacher's union is then turning around and using that funding, what, and what I call is punching me in the gut as a parent. Every single day, because that's all they do full time, is they create policies that go against my values. Um, And so, by pulling kids out, you are now, if you pulled 30 kids out, you've basically eliminated one teacher from the public school system, which you've eliminated $1,300 in union funding. Now, you multiply that by, by what we've seen through COVID, which across the country, it's been at at least on the low end, about 1.5 million kids that have been removed from the public school system. You multiply that by the dollar signs for students and for teachers and how much we are able now to defund the teachers union. This is all part of a greater strategy. It's not just of, yes, step one, we have to protect our kids. But step two, there are great ramifications that happen on the other side.
0: And I want to let people know too. While you're talking about those dues that so many teachers pay into the union, there is an alternative. There our, definitely is. Our friends at ChristianEducators.org, for example, you can, re- if you work in the public school system, you can actually redirect your union dues to them, and then you're investing that into their advocacy on your behalf, and um, they'll pr- pr- provide support and you're not funding the unions. Exactly. So it's another way to kind of help break the monopoly, which is really another aspect of the strategy.
1: It it definitely is yeah. and and we have to keep in mind that global strategy because the other side thinks that way. We don't think that way, but we but we need to.
0: Okay, so churches I think are such an important local resource, you know, because there you've already got people who are like-minded, they can get together and try to do something. I kind of liken it to the pregnancy resource centers Mm -hmm. that are everywhere. You know, that was something that many local churches decided, Hey, we're going to do something in our community as an alternative to the Planned Parenthood monopoly. So they got together, pooled resources, built a lot of pregnancy resource centers to the, the fact now that, you know, they're all over the country and, and, that was something we did without government help, without government instruction, as to provide a positive alternative. In my mind, this is the kind of imaginative thinking that we need to be trying to partner together as Christians in local churches and working together to provide alternatives for our for our kids.
1: Yeah, no, I wholehearted wholeheartedly agree with that, Krista, and, and in fact. Um, you know, what, what are those critical, you know, imperatives or yeah. ideals, right, that we should aspire to, um, and it, it all starts with what is your mission and what is your statement of faith. Okay. That's going to have to be at the, at the base, at, at the foundation of whatever alternative school you're going to provide, uh, because really the public schools have that same thing. They have mm-hmm. a clear mission, and they have, in, in our day and age, a statement of faith, and it's all the critical social theories and the underlying worldviews of, of that. Um, secondly, I would say is figure out your target audience. Is the first two, three years of your alternative school the target audience, just the people in your church, right? That's fine. But define that.
0: You don't have to solve every problem all at once.
1: Exactly. Okay. We have to start off with, with steps. So is it church families? Maybe you have a larger church that is able to support something beyond that And so you're thinking now not just your church community but the community around your church too. okay um, The other thing that I would say is how many grades are you going to start off with? you know is it going to be a, a K through third grade maybe for the beginning? You want to start by looking at your most vulnerable population? Mm-hmm. Uh, because what we're seeing now in public schools is these critical social theories are making their way all the way down to preschool, Yeah. and a preschooler does not have the ability to debate with their teacher. In fact, we as Christian parents teach our children to obey and to listen to their teachers, right? Yeah. Um, so that authority figure um, in the classroom, uh, you know, that they are to respect—they're—they're they're taking everything as gospel, right, from their yeah. mouth. Um, so my advice to a local church would be protect your most vulnerable Mm. uh, because starting a K through 12 is a huge endeavor. Um, But what you could do is start off small, maybe a K through three or K through sixth grade to capture all of elementary. Um, And then um, as a pastor, I would also start a very intensive discipleship program with my junior high and high school students, teaching them about all of the, the critical social theories, their underlying doctrine and how to dispute it, so that way when they do go into public schools, they're able to detect the the, the truth from the lie.
0: That's really good. So, I, I like what you said there. Starting that foundation is what do we believe? You know, what's our mission? Who who's our target audience? These are vital things. When we started the Center for Biblical Unity, that was almost the first thing we did. Yes, it was I worked on writing out the statement of faith? I worked out our, our principles talking about, you know, our positions on various social issues. So it was very transparent upfront. People know why we're here, what our mission is. People need to know that stuff. It, it can't just be kind of vague. Like we're going to love our neighbor. Okay. That's great. Correct. I'm all for loving my neighbor, <laughs> but I got to know
1: how, how, <laughs>
0: well, how am I defining that? Yeah. So yeah, that's good. So when we Get those kind of, as you call them critical imperatives on the table. We're, we're, we have this we have our mission. Let's get into some practicals. What do you see as kind of the first step of the church leadership team that what, what do they need to do to start making this church-based school a reality?
1: Yeah, step one is form a team. Okay. Don't think that one person could do this all on their own. All right. You have to form a team and that team, we always say um, and recommend that it should be somewhere between three to six people. Um, You can't just have too large of a committee because then you'll die by committee, Um, but not too small to where it just is going to become impossible for them to carry the load. And then within that team, have a champion and that champion Um, has that clear vision, will take Mm. the vision that the team articulates and and puts, you know, pen to paper. Um, But that is going to be the champion that's going to be driving action items, next steps, understands the schedule for delivering of the future steps. Uh, But then also have a kind of a co-champion, which we also call like your administrative support co-champion, because there are there are just so many administrative things that you need to keep tabs on right now. Uh, you're starting a school, right? So there's going to be a lot of paperwork involved, um, documentation that needs to be accurately filed. Um, and, and so you, you need somebody that's very um, savvy when it comes to doc, document control. So step one is start off with, with that team and make sure that team um, is in it for the long run.
0: I'm imagining there's gonna to need to be some kind of business plan because there's gonna be tuition payments involved, and you're gonna to have to make sure that costs are covered even if you're trying to keep them kind of minimal
1: correct so so after you have your team, we talked about the mission um you know step three is is really choose a school model because that school model is now going to feed into the business plan, okay, right. Um, so you want to understand, you know, are you doing a conventional private school? Because that business model is going to look very different. Uh-huh. So choose a school model first. Think through, is it a private school? Is it a more of a um, private school satellite program? Um, are you just going to do a homeschool co-op for now? Yes, your church might have the the building and the facilities and multiple classrooms, right? Um, but you're not ready yet to take on the full uh, administrative load of making it a private school. Okay. So you're going to do more volunteer-based, right? Parents who have already been in the homeschooling community who really understand. There's maybe a an influx of parents who have never done that before. So they would be, you know, bringing their kids to to church, and the parents who have already been doing it, you know, they're they're teaching them. Uh, there could be even a hybrid model with a combination of remote learning, right? So not okay. everything gets done on site. So, first, choose your model and then go on to figuring out then the business plan associated with it.
0: That makes sense, so, I'm even thinking in that mix could be I know th- we get a lot of letters from the ministry of people who used to work in public education until recently, but who have left because they just felt like they couldn't they couldn't take it anymore. um Those people might be lurking in some of these congregations that they might be a resource to help that group get started or might even be willing to oversee some of the tutorials or that kind of a thing.
1: This happens all the time, Krista. In fact, we just got an email to our ministry uh, not even a month ago by a teacher from the Bay Area who found out about us and shared all of this stuff with his pastor. And he has this passion now and a vision to start an alternative school. Uh, who better than him, right? He's a, he's a teacher. Um, at Protector Kids, our director of alternative schooling is is a, a brother who came out of the public school system. He was a teacher, uh, assistant principal, principal, assistant superintendent. He kind of worked his way up through the ranks um, and now is in basically early retirement because he just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And this is what he is leading um, within our team. Um, so he has all of that knowledge, and he's using that now uh, to help protect our kids, help pastors understand how to put all of this stuff together.
0: That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about funding and, and tuition, because I know that's an issue on many people's minds. You know, when we think about, let's run through some of those options again, you know, the there's a homeschool co op that's more volunteer based. So that's going to be probably the cheapest option. And then there's a satellite, I forget what it's, it's a PSP.
1: A PSP, a private school satellite program. Yeah, yeah.
0: And we have that in California. I don't know what other states do, but it's a way of homeschooling your child, but you're kind of under the covering of a school. And that, when i was homeschooling we went through a PSP for a couple of years it's cheaper than a full christian school but it's kind of a kind of an in between o- yeah. option yep. yeah um and then there's the full christian school so i like your approach of of like choose your model and, and we don't have to solve every problem all at once but we're moving towards solutions
1: correct so in in that choosing your model you have like you said we we bracket it so private school, probably your most expensive. Just start off with encouraging homeschooling, your, your cheapest option. Um, we, we've run those numbers. Um, and um, for, let's say, if you want to start like a K through K-6 program in your school, um, in your church, if you'd go a full-on private school model where that means you have seven classrooms, so you need seven teachers, uh, you're probably running at about 15 to 20 kids per class. Um, so you look at all of the expenses of seven teachers plus a principal plus you're going to have somebody doing the accounting yeah. behind the scenes as well as a secretary. Um, so all of a sudden, you're talking about like 10 staff members, right? That's
0: a lot of. That's a lot of. So money.
1: that's where your biggest costs come in. Yeah, it's your your staff, right? Um, and so. Y- with that kind of a model, you're, you're talking about anywhere between, you know, 800000 to a $1 million per year to run, uh, which then you divide it by the amount of students, so probably somewhere around 120 to 140 students. Um, and so if you want to spread that load out, we're talking about somewhere between, you know, $7,000 to $8,000 uh, per child per school year. Now, that's still, I would say, on the lower end of yeah. what we see. Yeah. Because usually you're talking ten to eleven thousand $11, uh, dollars per child, so you've already bent that cost curve down because your church is providing the facilities. So in those numbers that I just I just mentioned, uh, we do not calculate utilities and you know insurance insurance and all that because yeah. the church is covering all of that. So even if you want to go that full on private school route. You as a church have just bent that cost curve by easily two to three thousand dollars per year. If you want to bend that even further, now you talk about well, maybe in your church you do have retired school teachers who are already getting their pension. Oh,
0: well, I have a pension, yeah. Right,
1: and so they will be more than happy to come in and do this as a ministry. So now that's where you can start bending that cost curve even more, or you might have just some. Um, parents in the room who are maybe you know affluent you know business uh, folks and they want to donate towards the school because they see this as a ministry bending that cost curve even more so what we've seen is that if you can bring that cost curve somewhere to that four thousand dollar mark you'll have a much greater degree of success of, of attracting more people. You're not going to get that low, low-income community yet issue resolved. That we can take and resolve it in the next step, in the next yeah. phase. Uh, but at least for families who have two, three, four children, imagine if you're just paying one tuition at ten dollars to $12,000 yeah. as opposed to if it's $4,000, you're getting in two or three kids already, Yeah, uh, which is what most people are in that boat. Um, so, so that's where we try to uh, encourage churches to try and see if they can create that four to five thousand dollars per child.
0: That's good to to think about, and just I like the creative ideas there. Of well, maybe there's some retired teachers, maybe there's some business people, because this is the kind of creativity that we have to have. We know the end goal. All right, we want to make alternative education a possibility for as many families in our church that want it. Correct, yeah. So how are we going to do it? That's the end goal. Now, what are the creative solutions we need to harness to try to help us get there? But see, this is where I I think the pastor's leadership and vision is so important because I think the world is changing. Yes. And at, in your experience in working with pastors and being a pastor, do you think that there has to be some some different thoughts that pastors are going to have of how to shepherd? Like maybe how to shepherd when things were a little bit more politically neutral was different than how it's going to be now, that, that we need to make some adjustments at the pastoral level in our thinking.
1: I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, um, Krista. And, and here are some things that I had to change in my own mind. Um, So my background is I was born and raised um, in Romania under the communist regime of Nicolae Ceausescu. Um, My parents suffered extremely for the faith. My dad was even imprisoned for the faith. Um, And we had no choice um, during that that time in Romania. There was only one school you could go to, and that was the government school. And so we know from Scripture that where sin abounds, grace abounds— And, you know, my dad comes from a family of 10. He's the eldest of 10. Um, And I come from a family of 12. I'm the eighth of 12. Um, And so when I look at my older brothers and sisters, when I look at my aunts and uncles and my parents, um, they were all raised in that public school system where it was very aggressive anti-Christian. And yet all of them have still kept the faith. There was no option. But here in America, we have an option. And so now all of a sudden, when I, as a parent, praying to God and saying, Lord, you know, help me figure out what to do, you know, with my kids. um, It's no longer like, hey, I get it. You, This is the only option. I'm going to protect your kids there, you know. The Lord's giving you an option. You can homeschool. You can do this. You can do that, right? Um, So... Now it's our responsibility as parents to make those wise choices, and not just to say, "Well, the Lord's going to protect them." Um, Now everybody's case is different. I grew up then, late, you know, for the most part, my life here in America, um, and so my parents couldn't afford twelve private school tuitions. Right. So our only option was the public school, and God knew that, and God protected us there, and my parents discipled us heavily and none of us have lost our faith. Um, But you have to look at your situation. If God has given you the means and the way to protect your children and he's given you the the affluence you need to be able to afford all of that, or maybe you need to start sacrificing a little bit, uh, something that maybe as most Americans haven't been used to, um, then that's your responsibility. God places that on you. And you can't just, you know, pray and ask the Lord for protection when He's given you a lifeboat.
0: Mm. So when we think about this, I really want to emphasize this piece though, of my hope through this conversation is to encourage pastors to catch a vision of even if they haven't seen starting a school as part of their pastoring responsibilities.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: If, might need to start being on their radar. It might need to start being part of their church culture.
1: You know, I I encourage pastors to read a book called The Third Education Revolution by Vishal Magalawadi.
0: I really want to get him on my podcast.
1: You have to. (laughs) I'm I'm
0: working on it, yeah. (laughs)
1: Because I I think that even though five years ago I started working in this space, um, I think Vishal really helped me to kind of— make it a full vision yeah. of what this needs to look like yeah. um, and what a pastor's responsibility or just the churches in general yeah. uh, under the Great Commission of what it means to teach yeah. as part of the Great Commission, teach them you know, to yeah. obey uh, my commandments. Um, and so um, I, I would highly encourage pastors to pick up that book or just to at least go on YouTube and listen to an interview with yeah. Vishal. Yeah. Uh, and in an hour i think he'll convince you that we really need to start thinking this way
0: very good okay well let's this is a good little side conversation cuz um all right now i want to maybe talk to you about churches that have done this successfully you know i i know that you've worked with a, in various capacities um with a lot of different people but maybe you could give us a couple of examples of churches that have successfully done this and what that looks like for them
1: yeah, so we, we've been working with, with three, you know, small to mid-sized churches in Orange County, um, and over the last three years, uh, three years ago, the first one um, started working with us, uh, two years ago, uh, two more, um, and so we're going on right now in our third year, um, and with, with you know, all three churches, it it's starting off small, um, and it's starting off with a lot of volunteers, um, a lot of... Um, former teachers um, or sometimes even current teachers um, who are, you know, adjusting, you know, their schedules to be able to come in. Um, so this calendar year, we we just finished off with 45 students across those three uh, schools. Um, they are right now more of an independent learning center. So these volunteers, we have over 60 volunteers who come in and teach different um Uh, different parts of the curriculum, you know, if if it's math, if it's science, if it's arts, social studies, things like that. Um, There are are no paid staff. So under this model that these three churches have adopted, um, they they are just going the full volunteer route. Um, And they're all part-time volunteers, uh, but we do have three full-time volunteers on each campus uh, because those are the ones that are Organizing all of the other volunteers, right? When they need to come in, um, and in terms of um, you know teaching, it's not a full blown five days a week. Uh, it's more of a three days a week um, that that they're doing. Um, but so far, uh, we we've had some very good success. Uh, again, starting small and just growing from there. Um, but the success is also measured in. The impact that you have on these children's lives Uh, because some of these these children are coming from non-believing families Um, and some of these we've already been seeing uh, these families uh, giving their lives to the Lord Uh, we've had about five families to date uh, that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior Um, and so again this is what these churches are doing they've opened it up to beyond just their own church family and they're trying to serve their communities um, so that model will look, you know, different from, from place to place. Um, but you know, together with, with our director of al- our alternative schooling, um, that I mentioned before, um, we're, we're guiding them, you know, every step of the way and, and hopefully sooner rather than later, they can just go off and fly on their own. That's awesome. So
0: can people reach out to you and, you know, get some of more expertise and, you know, engage in some problem-solving conversations with your team?
1: Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we highly encourage you to do that. Uh, just go on the Contact Us uh, uh, page on our, on our uh, website at protectourkidsnow.org, um, and w- here's what we can do for you. We're, we're a small team, <laughs> but we're a mighty team, um, and you know, we've actually just done this at my own church uh, because I brought in our team to come in and to speak in front of our board and to give a presentation of everything you and I just talked about, and obviously in a little more detail. Yeah. Um, but it allowed our board to ask and grill us with as many questions and concerns that they had. Um, and then after they did that, Um, they went off and, you know, spent a couple more weeks praying and, and thinking over the decision and, and praise God that they, they made a decision to, to actually start off with something. Um, and so we're looking at my church at at starting off a K through six school, again, something smaller, something that our board felt like we could accomplish with the resources that we have. So that decision is going to look very different for, for everyone. Um, but we can help you think through all of that.
0: Yeah. That's great. And um, I know that many people, we have a tendency to to just look at the obstacles. And mm-hmm. I want to encourage people to get it to a commitment of the outcome first. Yes. Because if you get to a commitment on the outcome, the resources, the Lord has a tendency to bring the resources. But let's not be in so much scarcity that all we do is look at the obstacles. You know, and I I, I find this... Time and time again to be true in my life is once I get to the commitment, if the if the Lord is in that commitment, He'll bring all of the resources that are that are needed for that. Amen. So, amen. Yeah.
1: And I, I tell pastors we we probably use a lot of this saying where the Lord guides, he provides. Yeah. Well now we, we have to start believing in that <laughs> <Yeah>. saying. <laughs> That's
0: right. One of the most frequent um obstacles that people bring up whenever we talk about, you know, this kind of alternative school model is the issue of insurance. Uh, I've talked to many homeschoolers that are like, oh, I tried to talk to my pastor about maybe starting a co-op at our church and being able to broaden it to more families and inviting more families into it. And they're just like the obstacle of using the building and the insurance and having people there. Do you find like that these are typical obstacles that that people run into with pastors, and maybe some thoughts about how to how to get get past that.
1: Yeah. So uh, typical. It's a very typical obstacle. In fact, we discuss it at length in our step nine. Okay. Um, because we have seen this come up so much. Um, a, a lot. A lot of times, it's it's overthought. You're overthinking it. Mm. Uh, because if you think about how many kids you have during Sunday school on a Sunday, and how many people you have on your grounds. During, you know, any other kind of event or let's even go for maybe like the big time events or harvest festivals, you know, community
0: outreach, community
1: outreach events. Nobody's asking themselves in that board meeting, do we have the insurance to do? (laughs) Um, Typically, the answer is, is, is yes. You probably already have the insurance that covers that kind of activity. Um, Now, obviously, if you're going to be running a full blown private school, right? That you're going to want to look a little bit more closely into uh, than if you're just running a hybrid model or a homeschool co-op, okay, because the insurance requirements are going to differ. But um, from, from my understanding is that that is a hurdle that is n- not insurmountable, and it's not as big as most people think it is.
0: Okay, that's good to know because that's probably the number one question we get when we have this conversation, So I'm thinking about some of these as startups as they're getting going, they might need a little bit of help or coaching along the way. Besides reaching out to your team, what else, what other resources might they look for?
1: Yes, recently, Krista, we've actually been introduced to an organization called the Herzog Foundation. And they are providing support for schools that have already started and their ministry is to support those schools and to get them to become mature. Mm -hmm. And they do it in two ways. First way is they just ask you to send your team, usually two or three people, um, buy yourself a round-trip ticket from wherever you are to Kansas City. Once you are there, they will house you, they will feed you, and they'll uh, get you in a three-day seminar. And those seminars happen every week throughout the year on different topics. So if you need help with marketing or fundraising, or if you need help with recruiting or whatever topic you need help with, uh, they are there to provide you that professional development. Um, but then they also take it a step further because they realize that every one of these schools have a, a unique model. and they want to pair you up with a mature school that's been around probably for you know 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, And that is the closest to the model that you are starting and set you up in this mentor-protege relationship. That way, you are not just on this journey alone and that somebody could be there walking beside you that has already done it before.
0: Wow, that sounds amazing. So remind us again, I'm going to have Bob put the website up of how people can stay in touch with you and... All of that. I don't know if you guys are on social media too, if you are, you can share that as well. Yes,
1: we definitely are. So protectourkidsnow.org, that's our website. We also have a YouTube channel um, and on our YouTube channel, we have a lot of videos, videos on every one of these triple threats and videos also on other topics. We even have a, a how to homeschool video and taking you step by step. And hopefully one of these days we can actually take this How to Start an Alternative School and convert it into a video as well. But the conversation there just needs to be very tailored yeah. per church. So it's kind of hard to, to create that. Um, we're on Facebook, so you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We just recently opened up Twitter uh, because we're seeing a lot of good things coming up yes. with, with free speech there. So we want to yeah. make sure our... Our message is being um, you know, sent across the, the Twitterverse as well. Um, but YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and our website, you should be able to find um, most of the stuff that you need.
0: Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming, George.
1: Thank you, Krista. This, is, this
0: has been fun. And I want to encourage each and every one of you parents to prayerfully consider your responsibility before the Lord for your child. Uh, I love what George said earlier about, you know, your responsibility, be proactive, protect the vulnerable, but I also want to encourage you to think creatively. Don't just see the obstacle, see the possibility of what could be and trust the Lord to bring some provision for you. Uh, He has resources that I have often found in my life I didn't even know were available until I got committed to what it is that he had for me. So with that, um, I want to just encourage you, go check out George's YouTube channel at Protect Our Kids. You can check out my channel at Theology Mom for more resources on these things. Make sure to share this podcast with your pastor and your friends who you're already maybe homeschooling with to help build that community even more, to make those options available to more families. And with that, thank you, good night, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.